Hey, Andy Phillips here. And I'm Tom Hackett. You may remember us from that time when we used to try really hard to make plays on fourth down. Well, we're back at it with a brand new show called Special Forces Gang, where we give you new perspective on what it takes to be a football player. We talk all things Utah football, sports, and life. Don't miss Special Forces Gang. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on kslsports.com. Go Utes! Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold-cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. This is part two of our interview with Justin Kamine. It's a very interesting approach that um, I think it's a credit to the family's background, but really how we approach things, where it's how do we enable that growth to occur rapidly? How do we build 40 cities in two years is always a thought process. Okay, well, we need to have national logistics. We need to have standardized food processing equipment, which is what our equipment is. It's all off the shelf. If you missed part one, his family development corporation has uh, has done three and a half billion dollars in infrastructure, and they're doing some pretty amazing things. Uh, I kind of want to start off here, um, picking up where we, where we left off on episode one about this idea of you think about um, relationships and just how you feel like your dad has set the example of it, it's. I'm just I'm going to put words in your mouth and want you to correct me. It sounds like he kind of like cares about everybody like an individual, even mm-hmm. though they're doing big, giant infrastructure deals, hundreds of millions of dollars. He seems like he's the kind of guy that's dialed in with people at an individual level as he's trying to make these big, innovative moves, and that that's something you've tried to emulate. Is that fair, or how would you say that different? No, absolutely. Um, I think the coolest thing about our family dynamic is that most of the employees have been there for 10 to 30 years. Um, so many of them were at my bar mitzvah or even our secretary has been there for 50 years. So she was actually at my dad's bar mitzvah. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the essence, essence of the family kind of corporation. It's, yeah, let's go after big ideas. Um, and we fully believe that if, I mean, if your kid's having a soccer game, well, you better be at the kid's soccer game. And especially with technology nowadays, it's like, great. I know you can jump on a phone call at seven. So that human dynamic and that relationship, I think, is critical and has led to um, truly giving us the platform. Because I think it, if we didn't have the guys that could engineer and construct and have the experience sitting around the table, then we, as my brother and I, wouldn't have the credibility behind us to say, can you guys actually feasibly pull this off? Can we work with some of the biggest corporations and solve food waste over the next five years? Yes, we can, because here's the team and here's the background of the team that we've done this in industry after industry after industry. So I fully believe, I mean, it's like that whole kind of natural progression as a family has, I think, hopefully provided us, my brother and I, this capability to take, hopefully, this family dynamic and really raise it to the next level and focus it on to some of the biggest issues because we need to solve this not just for a pat on our back, but for societal issues. And we are the biggest proponent or, or uh, um, supporter of all technologies that can truly help transform the world. And we're not invested into all of them, but we try to help all of them. Um, because if I can help open a door to a new energy company that might have the new kind of holy grail of battery storage technology, well, that's good for for society. And I think we all need to recognize, and I think that's 
talk about the Forbes Impact Group, talk about some of these other groups that are convening such amazing people. I think we all need to just truly recognize that we all need to group up together. And like we were talking about before, how do we create the social Avengers? Because that's truly what the world needs. I mean, you saw the UN report coming out 12 years from now. We need to make huge, huge changes. Well, I want to talk about this. Um, again, you know, we're, we're always thinking about at Mylan with all these clients and the big corporations, and they got the bureaucracy and they've got a hundred reasons not to go after the big innovations. The quarterly investors need the report now. You know, the quarterly investors are going to drop us if we don't make the numbers this quarter. There's, there's so many things against going after the bigger problems in life. But yet you think about if I'm a leader, how much easier it is to get my staff to want to do something truly amazing than to make what we're already doing 10% better. And you guys, I mean, the inner investor in me loves the 20-year contract business that you guys do and the like Warren Buffett compound interest type of opportunities. And then you've also carved off some money for the, the moonshots and the exciting stuff. And like, um, can you talk about can you talk about the straws and how big a problem that is, and how you're not getting ten percent better? You're you're trying to go for order of magnitude. Yeah, better. we kind of go for the home runs, um, and it's actually interesting. It's all kind of stemming from a question that I was asked. Uh, my whole kind of life philosophy, which is, what is your dash? Everyone's defined by their dash. Um, and I was like, when the guy asked me this <laughs> you question, mean like on a tombstone, yeah, with the dash between the dates, <laughs> yeah, okay. Because think about it, uh, when you die, it's like, okay, Jess Larson, the day that you're born, dash, the day that you're dead. Your dash is your only legacy of what people remember you as and what society remembers you as. Doesn't talk about how much money you made or all this other kind of resume stuff. So I truly live my life of okay, if I die tomorrow, a, how would people remember me as? Hopefully, it's uh, treating everyone in the right way, which stems back to how do we treat our employees. Um, and then B, it's okay. What did I do for society? Um, so the straw business, it was actually fascinating. I was, uh, talking about my dad, my dad had a, uh, we had a, a failed beverage business. Um, and our whole philosophy is that we reserve the right to get smarter over every investment. Um, so I wanted to prove that, you know what, CPG and something in the beverage consumer products at that time was something that we could do. Um, me being the stubborn 22 year old. And uh, so I was flipping through Entrepreneur Magazine, and the technologies to look out for was this company called Lollyware, founded by two amazing women um, coming out of Parsons School of Design in New York. And I called them up. I'm like, guys, you guys were just in Entrepreneur Magazine as a technology to watch out for in the future. I'm sure you have a bunch of investors, advisors. They go, we have no one. I said, cool, I'm in. Let's, let's meet and let's talk about this. Um, so the first kind of couple of conversations and, and meetings that we had um, I truly understood that this was a material technology that yes, at that time, four years ago was nothing compared to what we have now. And, and can you tell me what it is? Yeah. So, so it's a, uh, we essentially reverse engineered seaweed and kelp, um, to look and feel exactly like plastic. So, um, we originally at that time were starting off creating cups. Um, cups were so biodegradable that you could actually eat them. Um, and we could f flavor them naturally so that you could get your champagne in an orange-flavored cup that would be an organically-flavored orange. Um, that was more of a, the first iteration of the technology of, okay, what can we create? And that actually stemmed from a purchase order that we got just based off of just kind of people seeing the market. And it wasn't until recently that um, the, the straw movement really started to kind of take hold. And we as a company, talking very openly and honestly, we were struggling to kind of find where do we go. Production was a, a, a hassle. Um, kind of scaling the cup business wasn't really working out. 
but we knew we had this technology and uh, that's really what we invest into and what we we talk about iteration and kind of the the perseverance and determination to know yes i'm onto a good idea that the world needs and it's going to kind of take these twists and turns can i can i yeah. interrupt you yeah okay i want to talk about this because i mean you guys had you, you know these gals they were on shark tank they got mark cuban involved there's you know you got now you got richard branson tweeting about the straws yeah. and stuff right yeah but that decision of being a wise financial steward of it's struggling how do you know if we should keep bailing out this boat or if we should get another boat you know when you when you yeah. think about that choice of like the pivot or persevere uh it's it's hindsight so 2020 mm -hmm. right on, on your for and against as you're trying to make that decision of like we're struggling do we keep going do we not keep going what's like your general philosophy you know it's interesting i think uh on a couple of the past businesses that weren't so focused on moonshot sustainable technologies i think it's easier to say okay well let's just scrap it or pivot or in a completely different direction you, you don't have that, at least I don't have that um, personal connection where I recognize that the world needs this. Um, the first beverage company was just kind of a beverage, right? It was just like, okay, do you need another iced tea in the market? Does that really change the world? No. Is that your, your, your dash? You made an iced tea? No. Right? But if I have a sustainable material that can truly eliminate single-use plastics and create a replacement for consumers that they have no idea that it isn't plastic yet a sea turtle could eat it because it's just made from seaweed and kelp. Wow, that is a product and a technology that's worth continuing to pursue and persevere through all of the dark days and be that quote-unquote overnight success when you hit Ten it Ten years later. Yeah. Um, so the straw movement really came, I think it was a fascinating case study of using celebrity engagement, talk about Adrian Grenier and Lonely Whale and all these corporate and nonprofits that really started to put pressure on the Starbucks and McDonald's of the world and calling to attention, using their platform to have an enormous impact in the world by calling out a problem of 500 million straws going into the ocean every single day. Well, that's great to call that out, and we need more of that. And we need to then back that up with actually technology and economic solutions that can actually then fill that void. Because if Starbucks sitting there saying, great, I can ban straws, but consumers still want straws, so where's the balance of that? Well, here, how do you plug that hole and how do you give them that type of solution? So I'm super excited about Lollyware because we've actually created a material that can be formed into a straw, whether it be a juice box straw or a straight green Starbucks straw um, that the consumers do not know the difference. It's just a sustainable material. <laughs> okay. Can I pause you? Because yeah. I was on your social and you were showing the, like when you put the green straw in the Starbucks and I'm like, I don't get it. <laughs> Cause I didn't know that that wasn't the green Starbucks straw. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. Well, isn't that the coolest thing though? Yeah. I mean, you as a sustainable focused person were like, what is this guy doing? Well, it my big thing is I'm a, you know, surfing, Right? Yeah. It's the worst surfing, and there's garbage in the lineup. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Right? Yeah. And, like, you just think about how needless that is with stuff like this coming out, mm -hmm. right? But somebody has to make the economics make sense so that McDonald's and Starbucks actually yeah. want it, yeah. right? Um, and I think, kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, like, as I was thinking about translating that, like, if I am in a large organization, what's the prince? What's the takeaway here? What's the takeaway for. How do we, you know, that decision, pivot or persevere or whatever. Yeah. And I was thinking about 
like you were tackling something big enough that there was the personal payoff. And obviously there's a huge economic payoff if you can get there, but there's the personal payoff of sticking with it instead of ah, just another iced tea. Right. Yeah. And I wonder how many times as leaders we're we get excited about something or we're, we're working on something, but have we really taken the time at that individual personal level that we know that the rest of the team has that deep personal connection to it? Um, you know, how often do we take our teams for granted? Yeah. Oh, I think that's that's the coolest thing about society right now. We have what some people are calling the green revolution. Everyone has kids. Everyone can read the reports of saying, okay, where are my kids going to get food in 2050, 2060, let alone, I mean, in the next 10 or 15 years? So it's like people can project out and say, okay, what am I truly leaving? There's enough data. There's enough science behind this. And we talk about resource depletion. If I have, if I could see this, the 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 oceans are depleted in tuna fish. Okay, well, my kid in 40 years is not going to be able to eat tuna. Okay, so how do I start to protect that? And I think that's what I think the society is starting to get and understand is that people are truly caring and saying, okay, where is my stewardship for my kids in the future? Um, and so I think they are willing and wanting and desiring to focus on the sustainability. They recognize that consumers care about it, their shareholders care about it, and now they're able to tangibly start to connect the dots as to where the future needs to go. I think that's the exciting thing, and I think that's where society continues to go. I don't think that there's any if, – if you look at some of the uh, uh, energy laws, right, it's like – Great. Trump now enacted a way to, that coal can produce again in, in a larger way. Is anyone going to be building a coal power plant? I don't think so. I mean, yeah, there's people building them, but if I was putting my money behind something, it wouldn't be a coal power plant, even if it was a good economic return, because you can project out into the future that, you know what, there's probably going to be consumer pressure, just like straws, onto why are you producing that way? Because here's alternatives. So if all of a sudden you have alternatives, take, for instance, the straws, all of a sudden we have purchase orders for billions of straws because there's an economic solution that's sustainable, and the consumers are now understanding and desiring, saying, why are we using plastic straws? Because 500 million of them go into the ocean. So how do we continue to leverage that in a way that drives consumers in the way that they are desiring and makes corporations feel good about where they're going and how they're projecting into the future? Yeah, you know... um as I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about this, like, <clears throat> it's almost like it requires a little bit of slowing down and t- taking everyone in that, like the lineup of people you just said, taking them into, into consideration as an individual mm-hmm. and kind of that principle you're talking about earlier of like, if you're talking to the corporate person as an individual, not just what does your company want, mm-hmm. right? And you're, 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 um, you're giving people the space to make their own personal emotional connection to it. Mm-hmm. It feels like when the hard times come, you can almost you can almost make some withdrawals on that bank account, that relationship bank account, yeah. to to carry it through. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, or how would you say it different? No, I think a lot of that is absolutely true. I mean, I think um, inherently a lot of people are risk adverse, right? So, especially in a big corporation, they're not paid to make crazy gutsy decisions. Unlike an entrepreneur, in my mind and our family's mind, it's like. Well, let's just go. And it's like, okay, well, we have to recognize and rationalize and game theorize. Okay, if I was in the other person's position, whether it be in the corporation or wherever as a shareholder, okay, how are we risk mitigating all of these things? So we often kind of think in our mind, let's put up every sh- every stakeholder from start to finish throughout the entire production process to the consumer from, from the start to finish. 
and what are they thinking at each level, both on the cost and on the risk tolerance and on the feasibility or usability of that product. And so I think that's the way it has to be kind of done and outlined so that you do have that understanding and appreciation of everyone's seat at the table. Um, because, yeah, these big changes aren't going to happen overnight. Even in a big corporation, you're going to say, okay, prove it to me, right? Same thing with, like, uh, farmers. It's like, okay, let's grow some chickens or let's grow half of a flock. Okay, next turn we'll grow two flocks. And it's like, okay, so then all of a sudden in two years we're up to a lot of them. Um, so it's that same kind of understanding of that growth, same thing with the, with the straws. It's like, okay, let's go off and prove a bunch of markets, prove that the consumer loves it, it works well, it doesn't fall apart. Okay, let's let's have that growth. And I think a lot of these corporations are appreciative of that kind of dynamic where it's like, not just here's a macro solution and let's just go, 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 but we understand and we recognize that we'll have to – prove it into your existing infrastructure and then we can grow together um so i think yeah yeah you know <clears throat> one more thing that i really uh seems really magnetic to me about the way you guys go about things is and maybe it's your bias from an infrastructure background but i just love that you're talking in terms of 15-year contracts and 20-year contracts instead of like how much should we sell this month? You're like, hey, we will take your food trash. We'll take, we'll sign a 20-year contract to take that food, mm -hmm. right? You think about how financeable something like that is. And like, this is my like massive oversimplification is that every business that goes out of business goes out of business for one main reason, which is they can't afford to pay their staff anymore. <laughs> and if you can't pay staff, you don't have a company. True. And yet, by instead of thinking like, how are we going to get consumers to just buy this every day? Or how could, you know, what's the sales rep going to do by coming at it with the, like, what is, what is a long-term realistic, stable business model that, yeah, we have technical issues. Six years ago, it wasn't economic, mm -hmm. but once it is, we're going to put it into this type of highly reliable, um, financial agreement relationship structure that can then, we can add financial engineering. We can do all these other things with that level of reliability and sustainability yeah. seems like a massive advantage. Yeah, well, it's it's an it's a very interesting approach that um, I think it's a credit to the family's background, but really how we approach things. Where it's how do we enable that growth to occur rapidly? How do we build forty cities in two years? Is always a thought process. Okay, well, we need to have national logistics. We need to have standardized food processing equipment, which is what our equipment is. It's all off the shelf. All the bins are off the shelf. It's all standardized stuff that can be easily duplicated. So once you get that standard operating procedures in place, it's very similar to the Southwest Airlines model. Every Southwest airplane is the exact same so that the pilot can fly any plane throughout the nation. The mechanics have the same pieces of equipment all throughout the nation. And it's that standardization that enables them the cheapest price. United, take for instance United, United has 15 or what, 20 different kind of plane models. Think about all the different pieces of equipment, mechanics, the pilots that have to understand where the everything is. The standardization to a Southwest Airlines model is exactly our same approach. How do you standardize all of these technologies so that you can, when a big corporation goes, great, we've now successfully proven the test market we want to go national with you, you're saying, great, here's the platform that actually enables that to occur, which I think is so, yes, unique and specific to our thought process. Um, other, Of course, other families and companies do it, 
But when you're talking about sustainable technologies, most often it's done by scientists and saying, okay, great, we have this great solution, and oh my God, now how do we scale? We have the reverse. We have the reverse of let's prove it because we know we can scale this. And that's what gets these big corporations exciting where I can go and sit in from the, the top retailers and say, I can solve your food waste problem in the next three to five years. Great, let's go off and do it. Okay, so what I love about this is it reminds me of, um, I think it was in The Innovator's Dilemma. I can't remember what Clayton Christensen book, The Harvard Professor, Innovation Guy. And he's talking about infant mortality rates in the, in the developing world and how you know, these first world countries would give them these essentially baby incubators you know, to warm infants mm-hmm. and help them keep, stay alive. And then they come back two years later and they're all broken and sitting in a shelf, right? Versus those guys that um, made... Um, warmer for these infants that was toyota headlights Hmm. because people can keep toyota cars alive anywhere in the world interesting (laughs) and so as long as you could change a headlight you could fix the baby saving device right and maybe this is a good place to close is um i would love for you to talk about the temptation to make everything custom and to like put our fingerprints on things and like the humility or the realism it takes to to accept stuff that's 10 percent worse because it's off the shelf but it's amazingly scalable as a result when it feels like slightly below perfection, but now it's accomplishable. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Um, I often have this debate in my head where it's, yeah, I, I mean, we talk about, let's talk about food, right? Veganism and organic, and if everyone could just eat healthier and everyone could do le- use less chemicals and, and do all this type of stuff, um, but you have to pair that with the rational and the size and the scale of what we're talking about. I mean, we're talking about potentially feeding up to 10 billion people with the same amount of land, the same amount of resources. Talk about a company like Tyson. This is public knowledge. They slaughter 35 billion chicken. They're sorry, 35 million chickens per week. I mean, just the size and the scale to wrap your head around that. Nine billion chickens per year in the U.S. and like 50 billion chickens in the in the entire entire world. So it's like, great, we can produce all the lab-grown meat, and I'm a full supporter of all of that. I think technology and innovation and consumers to desire more sustainable products is absolutely critical. But we also have to pair the the rational understanding of these big corporations that they're going to continue to operate as is because we all have become accustomed to eating everything we want, no matter where we are throughout the nation or the world. You think about a supermarket— you walk into a supermarket in Arizona, Montana, or New Jersey at any time throughout the year, you expect as a consumer to have every single food on the table at all times. Whether strawberries are really in season or not, you expect them to be at the supermarket. And that goes true to every single product. Okay, so we're not going to change that behavior. That's just what we've now become accustomed to. And that is just kind of a irrational thought process if you're thinking that we're going to educate every consumer to say, hey, you know what? Strawberries aren't really produced in X, Y, and Z months, so you shouldn't want them. That's not rational. Okay, so how do you take the rational approach to say, great, we understand the way society currently operates, and how do we have the greatest impact in the way that society currently operates? Okay, if I can give you a straw that looks like a green straw, just to your point, you on on my Instagram, on the video, did not know that that was actually a sustainable, 100% biodegradable, that you could actually eat it straw. Sea turtle safe. Okay. Well, as a consumer, that's what I, exactly what I want to hear, that you can't tell the difference because it operates and it works the same way. And, yeah, maybe you paid for your latte $4.87 instead of $4.86, but uh, that's kind of irrelevant. Same thing with the, the food production. If I can create a carbon-neutral system that's the best, healthiest, most sustainably grown animals and at a price point that is near conventional, Okay, well, that's now enabling the masses 
to walk into a McDonald's or a Chick-fil-A and eat the best, healthiest, most sustainably grown animals. And they can now vote with their pocketbook, but not be an obnoxious price of $12 a pound. It's Didn't you tell me that the pet food is already, you guys already got to a level where the pet food is actually below? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the pet feed is the most interesting dynamic. It's, it's truly a, a cost uh, competitive advantage. So it's like, guys, this is an economic decision on both sides. The supermarkets, I'll pick it up for free. The pet feed, I'll sell you at a, at a low cost. And what's more transparent than literally taking the same food that you and I were eating this morning and feeding our animals the very next day that it's just human leftovers. We all do it at the dinner table anyway, right? And we all used to operate this way as a society where we used to take our food leftovers and feed it to our chickens and pigs and pets out back. Well, now we're just doing so with a 21st century technology that meets business practices and regulations and fits into the existing infrastructure of these major retailers and these major pet feed guys so that all of a sudden we can feed every pet this type of product and talk about this transparency, talk about this consumer desire. We have a video that we have on our, our website that showcases our entire production process, and you can see this food coming in. It's food that you and I can still eat, which is why we maximize donations to food banks. But no local food bank can take 160 tons of food every single day. And yes, we help the supermarkets purchase better and reduce their waste, which you would think would be going against us because, oh, well, there's we're reducing our supply. Well, there's thousands of supermarkets around every city. I can just go off and pick up more and more and more. So if we solve food waste as an entire society, I am high-fiving someone, not just saying, oh, well, I've reduced the supply of my business. So we take a very holistic approach to this, um, which I think has garnered us the attention that we've started to get. Because it's like, yeah, guys, we all recognize that this is, and this is one small solution out of the all the other solutions that we need. If we were to solve supermarket food waste over the next five years, that's like five to ten percent of the total food waste market. There's 60 million tons. We're talking about three to five million tons in our process. So we need all these other solutions, and we're full promoters of it because society needs it. I love it. Okay, so I know we got it on part one, but but again, um, you want to give us the KDC Ag website and, and uh, where people can see this green straw on Instagram? <laughs> uh, so the KDC Ag website is uh, not very creative. It's kdcag.com. And then uh, my Instagram is j underscore kmine, uh, K-A-M-I-N-E. Love it. Thanks for making time for this. Thank you. This is awesome. Bye. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now, but I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for two ninety nine subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. 
All right, now, listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold-cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.